I'm Tammy Vindange, your host for Executive with a Cause. Today on the show, I welcome Olivia Thornton, the CEO of Cricket ACT. Today, we're going to chat about the good, bad, and hard things about running a not-for-profit. Olivia, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. We've been trying to do this for a while. We have, we have. We've, we've finally got there. <laughs> well, you're in season right now. We it's still are. summer, so I'm I'm lucky to have you now at all. I think um, I reached out to you last year though because I was really looking to speak to someone in sport for for a lot of the not for profits I speak to or have spoken to so far, um, largely been charities or associations and. People forget that that sporting bodies are not-for-profits as well. And it's funny because when I did the research, I also realized at the time you were like the only a female CEO in the major sports here in um, the ACT or Australia Capital Territory. So that was interesting too. So thank you for accepting my invitation. Oh, pleasure. Pleasure to be here. And it, yeah, you're right. Uh, I think in my own organization, I'm the first CEO now, 90, well, actually 100-year history. We turned 100 this year, so um, which sometimes... I've grappled with because I shouldn't have been, um, but I've got this wonderful platform uh, to, to help other females, um, you know, sort of follow my, my in my footsteps. And I'm also pleased to say that I'm no longer the only CEO um, of, of our uh, involved in sport here in Canberra. There's uh, been a female CEO recently appointed in basketball and also in netball. So again, it's, uh, you know, whilst I was the first, um, I'm so we certainly won't be the last. Yeah. Well, I'd love to talk about the demographics of the sport. We do have an international audience here, and not everyone's going to be familiar with cricket. I mean, certainly with my accent, you'll know that I probably don't know that much. I know a lot more about baseball than I do cricket. So um, could you please tell us more about Cricket ACT? Yeah, well, we'd need about three months to actually understand the intricacies of our game because it is quite a, a complex one. I can absolutely appreciate where you're coming from, but uh, it is a sport that um, that is certainly been at the forefront of sports here in here in Australia. Um, for us locally, uh, Cricket ACT is the governing body for all forms of cricket, um, and as I said, has been that uh, for the last hundred years. So we had a fabulous gala last week to celebrate our, you know, raising our bat uh, for for a hundred. But uh, yeah, in terms of the broader landscape cricket landscape here. There's eight uh, states and territories um, and there's also a national governing body. So we are one of the branches that sit underneath our governing body, which is Cricket Australia. Uh, and we work with our state and territory colleagues across the across the country to our, ensure our game is is healthy, vibrant, sustainable for you know next generations. Um, and you know, I think it's a it's a fabulous game. I've played it all my life. It is in my blood, it's in my DNA, um, which is the case with many many Australians. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's got a presence in lots of Southeast Asian communities, but it's also growing in in places like America and places like Europe. Uh, and we have a World Cup on at the moment and our, the Irish women's team actually knocked off the Australian team wow. uh, for the first time I think ever uh, and that's actually a good sign because it means that those sorts of countries are, are coming to the party as well so um, it could well possibly be an Olympic sport in the next little period so that is going to change the game for us uh, as a sport uh, and not just nationally or locally but globally so it's a really exciting time to be involved in our game. Yeah so for 
Um, cricket ACT, this is a sport that does go up to a professional league. Mm-hmm. What part of it do you cover? So all of it. All so, of it. So, okay. so from entry level, so from a five-year-old kid that picks up a, a bat and ball for the first time through to our, uh, our female uh, domestic players who are paid to play. And we know that uh, it's really important that we continue to bring all sorts of cricket to, to Canberra and to this region because there is a direct correlation to bringing elite content to town um, and inspiring that next generation. And we had an opportunity a few years ago with the ACT government investment to actually um, bring World Cup women's games here. And off the back of that investment and off the back of that exposure here, we've had a year-on-year growth of over 200%. So whilst other things have come into play there, there is a direct correlation between having elite elite content and elite presence in town um, and inspiring that next generation, which is ultimately what we're here to do. So a 200% growth rate for people mm. involved in the sport? In, in the female, um, in just in the female oh, cohort, okay. um, which is fabulous. And again, we're really trying to um, encourage um, more women and, and young girls to get involved in our game. And I think it's really important that we continue to have a presence, whether it's from female administrators like myself or female coaches or just gender neutralising um, what we are doing to ensure our game is a game for all, regardless of your gender or your culture or wherever you, you, you come from. So it's a, it's a really important strategic priority for us and, and for Australian cricket. Um, and anything we can do to to ladder up to that, I think is really important. So, What's the gender balance right now? Yeah, I would say it's about 15%, 20% female, um, which is which is great. And, um, you know, that has grown significantly over the last little period. There's been investment from an Australian cricket perspective into ensuring the game is accessible for all. Uh, and there's been a big focus around on bringing um, and, and making our a game more attractive to, to young girls and boys, uh-huh. but predominantly young young girls, which is which is fabulous. So we've got um, things like uh, female only sort of sessions to and, and um, uh, what do you call it, programs to encourage girls to feel comfortable, get their, find their feet within our sport and then potentially, you know, integrate into a mixed gender, mixed gender team. So we've still got a little bit of work to do around our facilities. Um, our facilities, um, there are two things that kids keep kids in the game, uh, in or out of the game, I should say. One is the quality of the coaching experience and two is the quality of the facilities. So ensuring our facilities are female-friendly um, has also been a key focus as well. So, I mean, everything's sort of interrelated and interconnected, uh, but again, we can't just keep our eyes on bringing new people and new girls into the game without actually addressing some of the things that sit in and around that. I know that's been a hot topic in not just cricket, but other um, male-dominated sports like rugby, that um, having a f- like female changing rooms and toilets, like so many facilities lack mm. that, which is obviously you know, not feasible if you want to attract that kind mm. of population. What kind of investment do you guys have to make to, to help that? Is that something that you work with government with or is that something you're involved in? Yeah, so it's normally a tri-party agreement between um, ourselves as the local body um, responsible for cricket in this region, it's Cricket Australia, through their um, Australian Cricket Infrastructure Fund. So they provide funds to do just that um, and equally with our local government, so the ACT government. Sometimes there could be a fourth um, level of investment from a club if there's a specific interest that a club um, or a need that the club would like to maybe accelerate, um, then they come to the table sometimes. So it doesn't the responsibility doesn't sit with one particular person and 
I actually value that because we've all got skin in the game, as we would say here, um, and that, that it's not solely um, one person's responsibility. So again, we know how important it is to get people active and moving and the, the importance of, of sport uh, and on our wellbeing and keeping people out of hospital and that proactive approach in terms of that, um, you know, keeping, uh, keeping kids and, and people actually fit and healthy. Um, that investment is a long-term investment. So if we can keep them in the game, it's going to pay dividends down the track. Yeah. And how did you get into sport, Olivia? Look, I grew up on a on a farm, uh, so again, it was uh, in a in a in a community that was just sport mad. So, and it didn't matter what you played, uh, and agenda didn't really come into play either. So, uh, we played all sorts of things from netball, football, soccer, uh, you know, all everything. And the boys played netball, the girls played cricket, and it was just you played sports with with your friends. So, I think. Um, I was actually personally a better netballer at the time, but I, at, at five foot one or five foot two, that wasn't going to be a, a career path for me. So um, yeah, and, and and female cricket back at that time was just starting to um, to be recognised a little bit more broadly. Um, you know, there's been so many wonderful women that have been doing fabulous things for for years and years and years and, and decades, um, but it hadn't really been unsurfaced or uncovered, and I was sort of just in that era where it was just starting to, to move. Um, and so I thought I'd throw, you know, throw my hat in the, in the cricket ring, so to speak. And um, here we are. And it's taken me on a wonderful journey. Um, I've played overseas. I've got friends overseas. Um, you know, I've, I've dealt personally with uh, selection, non-selection, all those sorts of things that come with sport. Um, and I think that the team environment that cricket has provided me um, has certainly served me well with what I'm doing at the moment and it's, it's been a nice way to, to reconnect with my sport. I have spent a bit of time outside of cricket as well which was a deliberate play um, so I taught for a number of years uh, and I think again the correlation between teaching and education and, and some of the other experiences I've had in cricket in terms of coaching and things like that. There is a connection and and people always being at the centre of what I do, whether it's in the classroom, on the cricket field, as a player myself, or now as a leader of our organisation. So there's, there is a link, um, but it's been a bit of an eclectic mix as well uh, over the years. It's really interesting finding someone who's devoted so much of their time and, and life to sport to see you actually in a CEO role, because I saw that you were the head of development um, or high, high performance, I think, in, in another role. And I could see how an athlete goes into those roles quite easily because you know what it's like to be in the head and the bodies of these athletes. But to go into a CEO role, CEO role which is, is very different, like the skill set required to be an administrator is different than being a high performance person. What was that transition like? Yeah, I mean, if you look back a little bit um, further back down my, my sort of professional path, um, I've had an opportunity to work in local government. I've had an opportunity to work in the education sector. I've had an opportunity to, to volunteer and to run a club myself. Um, I've had an opportunity to, to work at a, a national body like the Australian Institute of Sport. So I think when you, when you um, buddy all those sorts of experiences up, it actually, actually has given me a really sort of um, broad, holistic view as to what the sporting ecosystem looks like. Um, I was really sort of 
um, honest and open about, you know, I'm, I don't have a CFO or, you know, chief financial officer background and things like that. So that is actually going to be an area that I do need to, to get up to speed. And that's just one example. Um, but I think what I mentioned before about people being at the core of the things that I've done and where I've had success, it's no different to what I'm doing now. Yeah. Understanding um, my people, understanding what makes them tick and providing environments and creating environments that allows them to flourish, I think is ultimately what I'm here to do. You know, I certainly can't do everything, um, but I can, um, you know, make sure I've got great people around me, great people are in it within our organisation that have got a common purpose yeah. um, and that my role is to actually allow them the airtime and space to get on with, with with their piece of the puzzle, and ultimately, I'm the one that just putting it, putting the bits and pieces together. I, I think it's a great analogy while we're talking about sport about putting together the perfect team around your star players, right? Like if you have strengths over here and weaknesses over here, mm. then you hire the weaknesses mm. to bring those in. And I think that's such a good example for any any CEO for that matter. And being open to that, I think mm. again. Um, I think the moment we start to try and think we're the expert in all the, the facets of, of business or of an organisation, I think it's a it's a slippery slope. So I think being really clear in terms of what your strengths are, um, but but having the the ability and the awareness to surround yourself with people that have skill sets that you don't have necessarily, yeah. but you know that you can work together again for that greater good. Um, I think that has again served me well, not only in this role, but in other th um, opportunities that I've had where you know, I haven't claimed to know it all, um, but I've known what I can do and what I can bring to the party and then our gaps and feel the, filling those gaps where again, it's on a cricket field uh, or in, a, in, in the office now. Yeah, it's interesting you're talking so much about team and it's, you know, most of the people that are sitting across from you across from me in this room are also CEOs and, and their missions are so much different. But it, it's still there's a commonality of building a good team around around you and recognizing where you can add value and um, allowing them to do their work as well. Yeah, and look, it's it's well known that you don't work, work in the sports industry for, uh, for big paychecks and things like that. So we actually have got to provide environments and create environments where people are prepared to, you know, maybe take a, a little bit of a pay cut or, um, you know, work at a, you know, from a financial perspective, a little bit less than what they would potentially like to do because they're, um, they're driven by a common goal and that common purpose and, and that love of the game and that um, that notion of giving back, which is certainly a personal driver for me. You know, the game's given me so much. Um, I feel really honoured that I've got the opportunity to actually um, contribute um, in, in, in the way that I'm doing now. And I think I can um, probably speak for my colleagues as well, that there's certainly that element of being able to um, certainly do something we love. It gets us out of bed. It is purpose-driven. We've got a wonderful cricket community um, and there are other things outside of just you pay packet as well. Yeah. How many staff members do you have? Yeah, it's about 28 at the moment right. um, across all parts of the business from um, commercial infrastructure, community cricket, high performance. Um, we've got digital and comms and media. So, again, not too dissimilar to, to other organisations. We have uh, a number of contractors uh, and that list is quite extensive. And, again, contractors across um, our sports science and sports medicine, so from doctors, physios, psychologists, nutritionists, through to coaches and through to um, some HR sort of um, contracts type role so again it's quite quite varied we then have 15 oh, sorry 14 uh, paid 
uh, athletes. Um, so quite unique within Australian cricket that we've got a female professional team, but not necessarily a male team. So, um, yeah, hopefully we can, you know, as we work through this conversation, I can um, share the direction we want to head to, to potentially even the playing field um, by having a male team here as well. So, so you add them into the mix and they are full time. Uh, with us and then we've got a cast of volunteers like our sport does not exist without our volunteers um, and again they are genuine enough I say this quite often they are genuinely the lifeblood of our game because with it, without them we certainly wouldn't exist and we wouldn't be able to do what we want to do in terms of um, you know continuing our the growth of our game and sustainable you know all those things I mentioned at the top um, without our our thousands of volunteers and you know we've had um, even in the last hundred years and we were only talking about this the other night at our gala imagine the hours that have been spent um, to ensure that our game has remained relevant and is strong so um, that's certainly um, always at the forefront of our thinking in terms of how do we support our volunteers how do we continue to work with them um, and make things a little bit more efficient as well. So how many volunteers would that be? Oh that is a very good question. <laughs> We're talking oh, uh, coaches, yeah, coaches, referees, managers, but even yeah. even the ones that um, you know are driving, are doing the pickup on the way to to cricket games, mm. are washing the the cricket clothing of a night, or washing out the water bottles uh, for, because it's your turn this time to to formal roles, uh, and I say formal volunteer roles around being a club president or the club secretary or the, the coach development manager or whatever the case may be. So it does look a and feel a little bit different depending on what club you're at and, and things like that. But we'd have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of volunteers that, um, again, do a lot of the heavy lifting at the coalface. Okay, so let's talk about this a little bit more because you do have a lot of children you have to work with. And um, I know that me being involved in another sport, I have to have a working with vulnerable people's card. It's being monitored all the time. Um, with that many volunteers that are actually hard to keep track of. Mm -hmm. I mean, granted, most of them are probably parents. Mm -hmm. But how do you how do you manage that? Do you have a volunteer coordinator? Do you have how does that how does that work? Yeah, so a lot of that comes down to the club structure that they've got in play. Um, and again, we we work with clubs to ensure that they have got structures, um, the appropriate structures in in place to in, enable again creating um, safe and inclusive environments and having the right people in the right roles and, and that, that sort of thing. So um, the club do look after their volunteers on a day-to-day -day basis, but we provide that support and, and that, that, that comfort around clubs um, to, whether it's through resourcing or, um, you know, one-on-one -on -one connection or, or whatever. It really is a club-based um, we work with our, the individual needs of our clubs. So what um, we're doing in Club A might look completely different to what we're doing in Club D, just based on the needs. Um, okay. Again, so how we deal with our people. You know, not, we're not all clones. Yeah. So um, what, where are the gaps? What are we doing well? What, what, what needs some attention potentially? And then we sort of work back from that point. So it okay. really is a, a, an individualised approach as well, outside of some of the overarching um, frameworks and policies and, and, and things that are in play. And how many clubs are in the ACT? Yes, yeah, so we've got eight premier cricket clubs, uh, inclusive of male and female teams. So that out there are our senior clubs. And then we've got about 15 junior clubs that have 
a number of um, teams underneath that. And so they're the sort of formal entities. And then we've got, um, you know, social cricket uh, that, again, people in the middle of winter, which can come down to about minus seven or minus eight, it makes me shiver even saying this, um, can um, turn up to a game, uh, like an unstructured sort of game on the weekends and play because they love it. Um, we've got indoor cricket, which is a different form of cricket. So we've got lots of different types, um, but our sort of traditional cricket are the Premier Cricket Clubs and our Junior Cricket Clubs. There's also a school element as well. So some of our schools play in our, in our um, cricket competitions. So, it's uh, yeah, it's quite an, a nice mix. It's a lot of moving pieces. I was just thinking, uh, so my analogy, I, I've moved to Australia 17 <laughs> years ago. My analogy to cricket was it's kind of like baseball, but really it's a babysitter for kids during the summer <laughs> because it's a sport that could take the entire day and the kids are out there and the parents, if they have to work, it's like yeah. a perfect babysitter. And that's why the kids fall in love with it is because that's what they do all summer. Yeah, it's actually, and I've said this a few times, it's actually the one sport, um, well, there's probably a few sports that are in this boat, but it is one of the sports that you can actually sit and check in on your mates because you've got time to do that. Whereas you think of some of the other sports that are, you, you get there, you warm up, you play, you're out. Yeah. Whereas ours, you could be out first ball and then you were sitting there with your mates, um, you know, and, and I, my take on that, it's a wonderful opportunity to check in on your mates and, and particularly in our male um, playing cohorts as well where we know the prevalence of, of, of mental health and um, mental ill health um, is, is rising. So what a wonderful opportunity to connect with your friends uh, around a game. We also do have different formats, so it's not all in the, the full day as well. And we've, we've had to change as a sport because society is changing because there are some pockets that don't want to sit there all day. So what are we doing as a sport to ensure our game is a sport for all uh, and we're trying different um, formats and different styles, social cricket, uh, you know, one-hour cricket, pink ball, white ball, red ball, you know. So, again, we've had to, as a sport, evolve because society has shifted. So we need to shift with it. Yeah. Well, I know cricket uh, fans are, are not just the average fan. They're, they're massive fans. And I had uh, two people take me aside when I said we're going to do this interview um, and try to give me the the – you know, the 101 version of the different types of cricket that are available now, and my head is still spinning from that conversation. So, but it, it is interesting that uh, such a, an older sport that has evolved, because you don't see that like in American baseball. It hasn't changed from the nine-inning, four-hour show that's like every night or every other night during the summertime. It hasn't evolved at all. Well, you, as a, as a, a sport, has, mm. and um, is it interesting? Does that also mean that your resources are a bit stretched because you have so many different formats? Yes, on one hand, and that that is one of our challenges as well to ensure that um, that all our formats are, are, are supported as best they can. But um, again, I also look, and I'm an optimist, so I, I I see it through you know a different way in that we've potentially got three offerings on the table. So if you don't like the five day all-day format in test cricket or four days for women at this stage, um, that's okay because over here we've got um, entertainment and fireworks and it's it's in and out. It's in our 20, 2020 version. Uh, so, again, 20 overs per side takes about three hours. Um, it's high-octane, you know, music galore, colour pink, greens, all sorts of colours. And then we've got one in the middle in terms of our 50 over. So still, again, one day of content, um, but a little bit longer. So I actually think you've got our customers and our people and our community have got a choice. Now, you might like all three. 
I like all three. I often ask, like, what's your favourite? And I can't. It's like picking your favourite child, you know, or your favourite fur baby. You can't. Um, but some say, look, I don't actually like test cricket, but I really like this here. Or I'm okay with that, but I really like that. And I actually think that's a good thing. So, um, yeah, I think we've got more sort of cards on the table uh, and more opportunities for people to connect with our game um, based on their needs and their sort of desires. But to me, it also sounds like you have three different things to market. You have three Absolutely. different um, events to staff. So three different venues you might need on the same week. It, it's not a, a small task to try to, to provide a product for every customer, I guess. No, I mean, that, that that's, again, another valid point. Um, we try... Uh, to to schedule all the content with Australian cricket. There's a, there's a guy at Cricket Australia who does that and I always say to him, you've got the hardest job in, in our game. Um, we do try and deliberately not clash things so um, and offset things so people um, each format and each competition can have their own airtime. But as um, more and more content's coming in, which is good for the reasons I mentioned before about the impact that has on participation, um, it is getting crowded, more crowded and more crowded. Um, but again, I also see there's an opportunity that some um, uh, formats and, and games potentially can go to regional areas that then um, allows our regional communities to potentially connect with a game where they might not have necessarily had um, the opportunity to do so as well. So um, there's always silver linings with that, that with those sorts of things. Yeah. Okay. With all these things that you're doing, you have paid professional um, athletes, you have staff trying to manage all this, you have contractors that are doing things as well. How do you fund your organization? Yeah, so that's, that's a good question. Um, we are probably 50% reliant on funding from our national governing body, so Cricket Australia. And we have worked really hard over the last, um, whether it's five to eight year period, to actually bring that percentage down and to be um, and to diversify our revenue streams. Because I think if you have all your revenue tied up in one particular um, pipe or pipeline, it, it's not necessarily well. It's a pretty risky risky business. Um, so we've been really active in terms of diversifying that. So we, 50% uh, comes from our national governing body. We get government grants from our local government here or um, the ACT government. We also have um, some commercial support, which um, are primarily local Canberra um, uh, companies that, that want to invest in sport. Um, love the direction that we're heading. Um, and particularly the last few um corporate partners that have come on board have come on board in, to support our female um, programs and the, and, the, and the female game um, first and foremost, which has been fabulous. Um, and so I think I'm really proud of that uh, and really proud of uh, the fact that we have actually been able to connect with more corporate partners as well and bring them into the into the family. Um, we, since um, I've been in, uh, in this role, and I can't, I don't have the data to, for those prior to me, but we've had 100% um, uh, you know, continuity with our partners as well, which is a good sign because, again, they want to partner with us and, and we want to partner with them. And I'm deliberately using the word partner uh, as opposed to sponsor because, um, for me, it's really important that there's it's a two-way um, relationship. It's not what can we get. It's actually how can we work together for, for shared outcomes as well. So, again, we, we're connecting in with a, a local um 
construction firm, Kane Constructions, who has, um, I think, the only general female general manager um, here in Canberra. So wonderful organisation, wonderful person. And we see that there's a strong, um, what we're trying to do in terms of enhancing our game um, and trying to attract our game, um, attract young women to our game, is that what they're trying to do in construction. So what a partnership to be able to leverage each other's networks and leverage each other's intel and, and research and all that sort of stuff to ensure that both our industries um, are setting ourselves up to be able to do just that. And that's one e- one example. So again. I think that, that conversation around partners mm. are in some places sponsors is so valuable. I had the same a similar conversation with Simone Clark, the um, CEO of, of UN Women, mm-hmm. um, recently and she was talking about you know when, when how it was to be on the other side working at Telstra trying to provide these um, pockets of gold to various charities and, and people would come up to them and say well you need to give us the money because of this and it's like well where's the alignment mm-hmm. <laughs> where's the alignment in your goals and our goals how yeah. do we make this work yeah. so I think that's that's such a great um, I guess follow-up to her conversation yeah. about that so thank you for sharing um, for your IT because you're so uh, a link to your national body. Mm-hmm. Do you um, do you use like a national system for keeping track of all the the, the members? I guess yeah. they're called members. Yeah, probably. we do. So IT for us is centralised through Cricket Australia, uh-huh. and that's consistent across all the state eight uh, states and territories. Um, again, that's. Uh, I think a really good thing in terms of that shared service type model and uh-huh. um, there's so many efficiencies there. Um, we wouldn't have the cyber, for just for an example, the cyber um, security support we have um, locally if we didn't, if we weren't part of the, the bigger picture uh, piece. So, uh, and there's multiple examples um, linked to, to that sort of shared service. Um, we, our player data, um, we, we go through a platform called um, Play HQ, and that's actually a new platform, and we've just um, transitioned from an old one that's been in play for a number of years. So the change management around that's been been interesting. Uh, but again, that, um, that new platform has been designed with our volunteers at the heart of that to try and make things a little bit more efficient and effective and um, and instantaneous uh, and less clunky. Uh, and I think that, you know, whilst we've had a few little bumps in initially, which is inevitable with the, with these sorts of, you know, anytime you migrate data and, and those sorts of things from one platform to another, you'd be silly to think that it's be smooth sailing. But I think um, in the long term, it'll be a really efficient platform and, and it'll take our game to the next level in terms of being able to digitalise things that we've never been able to do, instant replays, you know, all those sorts of things that um, certainly I'm no, I'm no expert in this space. It's one of those <laughs> ones that I uh, mentioned before and being clear about where your, your expertise are and where they aren't. This is not for me, but, um, you know, we've got a really good... Um, uh, support from from Cricket Australia uh, around our, our IT services. And so, what other back office um, support are you getting from Cricket Australia versus those things that you're employing locally? Yeah, there's uh, we bounce a lot from a from a variety of different angles. So again, from a HR perspective, we do have a HR um, personnel, but we we link in in terms of some of the policies and, and procedures. Um, from a legal perspective, we don't have a legal um, counsel here, so um, or a, a head of legal or integrity. So we again loop in with Cricket Australia around that. Um, I mentioned the word integrity just then. Another um, example of that. So again, some of those bigger ticket items, we, we certainly um, have been proactive and have got a really good relationship with Cricket Australia um, in, in, in those particular yeah. fields. What about finance? 
our finances in house for us. Okay. Um, so, but again, our the system is is a is a national system. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So we have a, a CFO uh, and a, a business manager. Um, so we've got a, a really good little team there that certainly support me and have brought me up to speed. Uh, but again, um, yeah. Any time that we do need support, or if there are uh, different ways that we might think we can do things a little bit more efficiently, um, we do have a. Uh, an open dialogue with Cricket Australia um, in re- in relation to whether it is finance, um, coach development, HR, legal. Do you have a board? Yeah, we do. Yep. So we've got a board. So we have a, a chair of that board who's, uh, uh, I think, been in the role uh, a year, just on a year now. Um, wonderful, wonderful guy who has four boys, um, but is, is equally sees things through a gender neutral lens. Um, we have uh, six um, appoint uh, member um, elected um, board directors, and we also have three independent. And so it's a nice, um, a nice mix. Yeah. So is that nine or ten? Nine. Nine. Okay. Yep. And are they volunteers? Yes, they're volunteers. Yep. And again, we've um, tried, uh, and particularly um, through one of our directors. Um, who's got a strong um, background in governance and, and good good governance. Um, we've got a really nice skill um, mix around the table. Um, we have, um, I think, 40% um, female, um, over 40%, if you do the maths around that, um, of, of female directors. And I actually had some feedback um, from an external facility. We had an external facilitator um, come in and, and do some work with us, the board and, and myself, and um, this particular gentleman said, I just want to acknowledge that the diversity of thought and that the, the female voice around your table is just wonderful. And for me, I, I, didn't, I haven't noticed it necessarily because it's just how it should be. Um, but he said, this is not always the case. And he said that, and, and today just cemented for me, as in the facilitator, how important it is to have one, a female representation um, around boards, um, but equally um, the more diversity of thought, it, it's just so rich. Um, we've still got some work to do on that front. Um, outside, we've um, recently appointed our first First Nations director, um, but we're still very white, we're still very middle-aged, um, but it, the board is aware of it um, and sometimes some, sometimes that takes a little while to, to get that, that balance right, um, but we're certainly there from a gender perspective. Yeah. Uh, well, especially with your goals to grow the female participation, I think it's absolutely critical to have that, that diversity. It's not always easy, though, right? When you have so many people coming in from the sport that are largely male, and then you're trying to find people with the passion to be on the board and give up their time to, to have the right qualifications as well, you're sometimes limited by who's available. Um, and sometimes, you know, the diversity doesn't exist. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I joke with our chair all the time. As I said, he's, he's got four boys. He, um, he's uh, a CEO of a very successful company himself. He's got full, uh, two full-time roles, one with us being, you know, our chair, two his own CEO. And we haven't even spoken about him being a, a husband and a, and a father. So, you know, it does take um, a lot of commitment and, and passion and drive. And you're right, sometimes it's not there. And I think, um, when you force that, it can actually work against you as well. So just being patient, and I know um, we're not a very patient society anymore, but just being patient with that thing and, and actively working towards it, uh, in my view, is a, a, a better way of, rather than just trying to, to force something when it's just not quite there. Yeah. 
Yeah, volunteer boards are challenging, and I've been on the boards many, many times, including now, and I've also been the CEO. <laughs> and it's it's just a challenging um, situation when they have so many other priorities in their lives. But yeah, they, and, and they, again, they're clearly passionate to do it, though. Yeah, absolutely, and I feel really, really blessed um, that you know this is 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 my first CEO role. So to have a board um, that consists of the people that um, around the table at the moment. I actually feel really well supported. Um, yeah, uh, you know, I need to be held to account and absolutely am. Uh, and uh, But I also know that they have my back and that they're on um, this journey for the right reasons as well. And I think when you've got people in the in whether, whether it's CEO role, board role, you're part of your executive team or even the last person in our organisation, if we're all heading and pulling in that same direction, um, I think that bodes well, and, and that's certainly the case at this moment in time. Well, and we talk about this moment in time not just being your centennial, but um, we, we, admit, we had mentioned this before we uh, started the podcast, and I asked if we can speak to this. You, you inherited a very unique challenge that is, um, for many CEOs, would be quite stressful to have to deal with still, but the National Redress Scheme for Victims of Child Sex Sexual Abuse, um, you guys were just able to finally join that um, that scheme. And for those people that aren't familiar with what the scheme is, it might be useful to talk about it. And, and you know, this happened long before your time, but the fact that you as the CEO have to deal with this now and, you, and what you wanted to do but you couldn't afford to do, could you talk more about yeah. this? So the National Redress Scheme um, is a is a federal scheme. It is a scheme that is designed to provide redress and not just financial redress, but but um, redress, holistic redress to uh, to to survivors of of, of sexual abuse. Um, I am aware that um, that there has been incidents of of sexual abuse in our game across across Australian cricket and and here locally and. Um, you know, we have uh, just been officially declared as a participating organisation um, within the National Redress Scheme, and that's that is a um, it is a big thing for our organisation because, like you said, we we first um, tried to sign up in two thousand and twenty. Um, there are certain financial thresholds that you need to to reach um, to be um, eligible to join the scheme. At that moment in time, we weren't. Um, but we have continued to work with the department um, each year to, to to provide in a really transparent and open way our financials, um, audited financials, uh, and we uh, have just been declared um, as a, um, a participating um, organisation, which means we're in a financial position um, financial position to be able to um, to be part of the scheme. And so the, the scheme itself does that mean that you'll be contributing? to supporting the victims um, through various ways. Yeah, that's what the scheme is designed to do. Yeah, okay. And so, I mean, that's a bottom line. That's a new expense. It's an ongoing expense. It, it, it's not just uh, the right thing to do, but you also do have to think the the ongoing um, cost to the organization. It, how, how do you work through that? Is, is it just something like, we have to make this a, a figure on the line item, or we'll get to it when we get to it. I mean, how how does that conversation occur when when you weren't in a financial position at the time? Yeah, and it's a really good question. And we are, if I'm being completely honest, we are still um, working um, through that uh, and what that looks like and and how um, it is going to work. And but I mentioned before around people being at the 
forefront of our decision making, um, whether it's volunteers or or me fostering, um, you know, young employees within our organisation to, to get them moving with their professional um, careers. This is no diff different in terms of the person being at the centre um, of this particular um, scheme, albeit in a um, not for the right reasons. I mean, it's, as again, it, it's not. Um, it's a, it's a very delicate topic and a sensitive topic, and you know, certainly I have a lot of empathy um, for people, not just those involved in in cricket, but um, any victim of, of abuse. So, um, yeah, it is it is one that we're continuing to work through. Um, but again, understanding that there is a, a human at the other end is really important. Mm. Oh, some big decisions and, and hard hard tasks that you've been um, given as a new CEO, um, even though you've been in the job for about a year now. But also just on that, we've, I've also got a responsibility um, to control. I'd, I can't control what's, what's happened in the past. No one can. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I've got a responsibility now to ensure that our game is safe, accessible. We've got the right policies, procedures in place that um, allow kids to, to turn up to cricket and in, um, enjoy their experience and, and be safe. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Well, given you've already have a lot on your plate, you did mention briefly that you do have a big strategic plan. What are some of the things that are on it we haven't talked about yet? Yeah, look, we, um, again, the growth of, I mentioned a few times, the growth of our game in for, for young our females in particular is a really big focus area of ours. Equally, the growth of the game in the 5 to 12-year-old age group because what um, what research has shown us or, or data has shown us that if we can get kids in between 5 to 12, we've got an 80% chance of keeping them. So if we don't get them in, our chances, you know, our percentages aren't, aren't, aren't too great. So, again, what are we doing um, as a sport, uh, not only here locally but as a, from an Australian cricket perspective, to make our game engaging and fun and um, where kids, can, as I said, can come and have a really uh, safe and in, enjoyable experience. So that, that certainly is a key strategic uh, priority for us. Equally, um, we, we do think we're a little bit untapped in terms of um, being able to offer a more to the Australian cricket ecosystem. As I said before, we have a, a female professional team, but I actually think the, the time's right to, to look at what we're doing um, in the male space and um, being able to contribute a little bit more. Now, what that looks like is, is, you know, there's a few discussions happening at the moment as to what that could look like, but I think we've got a wonderful venue in, in Manica Oval here. That's just a, a fabulous playing a surface and, and a stadium. And if you haven't been there, we'll, I'll, I'll take you to a game there. Oh, great. And we can watch <laughs> it because you feel like you're, you're part of the action. Um, so we're, we're, we're shovel ready in terms of um, being able to, to have a, a male professional team here. And it's just making sure that we're doing everything we can from strong pathways and, and the right people in the right roles uh, at the right time, you know, so those sorts of things which are, again, don't just sit within within sport. Um, yeah, our next little chapter is going to be an exciting one. All right. Well, is there anything else you want to share for the executives listening, things that you've learned? No. Like, look, I think it's been a wonderful opportunity to connect. Uh, I think if you haven't necessarily had an opportunity to connect with our sport, um, do so. Just just give it a go because, um, as I said before, we've got we've got options on the table in terms of formats. Um, we, we are, as best we can, trying to gender neutralise what we do. We are trying to work 
um, with our, our our vast multicultural community and our First Nations people to again ensure that our game is accessible for all, regardless of where you live, um, where you come from, what language you speak, um, your gender, your sexuality, your all those sorts of things. So I think, um, and that's uh, for me a wonderful opportunity, and um, I certainly. Um, yeah, I'm really privileged to be in the role that I'm in at the moment and to be able to lead uh, our cricket community into this next next, next phase. So um, if you haven't um, heard of us or whatever, jump on. You know, we've got um, a digital and we've have actually invested in our digital presence a little bit more because uh, we haven't been great at telling our story. Uh, and I think we've got some such wonderful stories and wonderful people and wonderful history, rich history. So again, bringing that to life um, through storytelling, so um, so powerful, and so so jump onto our socials, onto our website, and have a look. And um, I'm always here to talk cricket if anyone would, uh, <laughs> would like to. So what's the website? So it's uh, cricketact.com.au. And if, if someone who's not based in Canberra mm-hmm. wants to get involved in cricket, what do you reckon? Send them to Cricket Australia. Yeah. So again, there are wherever people are, there there will be a body or a, an organisation responsible for cricket. Um, certainly here, um, if you don't reside in the ACT, uh, Cricket Australia is a good stop in terms of um, uh, you know Google searching uh, where to find and how to sign up to cricket. Uh, but again, in the digital world we live in, um, you're not too many clicks away from finding a cricket club. So, and, and as I said before, it's a, a wonderful sport to make new friends, to connect with your friends, and, and like genuinely connect with your friends because. Often you are sitting there for a few hours um, and it just provides you with a wonderful opportunity to have a yarn to your friend. Yeah. Well, look, I, I've been fascinated with this conversation. It's, it's the first time I've had a chance to interview a, a sports CEO um, on this show. And there is a lot of synergies between um, what you deal with another not-for-profit, but also you have a lot of other interesting challenges that they probably haven't had to uh, face. And, and, the, and also just the breadth of the... Um, stakeholder that you're dealing with, you know, from the five-year-old all the way up to the pro athlete. It's, it's really interesting and, and wonderful to watch, but I reckon they have the right person in the job because your storytelling is amazing. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, you for sharing today, Olivia. Thank you for your, what your team is um, doing for sport here in Australia, and especially in ACT, and um, just really appreciate you being on the show. My pleasure. I love what I do. I'm proud of the work we're doing, and um, we're only getting started. And I hope you do take me to a cricket game. I absolutely will. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers. Thank you. Hi, this is Tammy again. When I'm not doing podcasts, I'm helping not-for-profits with IT decisions. The question for this week's IT in plain English segment is, why are ransomware attacks increasing? Ransomware is a malicious software that has been added to your system to block your access. The baddies will usually demand money to either restore your access or to return the data that has already been compromised. According to the INSEC group tracking ransomware trends in Australia, on average, there have been six reported ransomware attacks per month from 2021 to 2022. That's including not-for-profits. So why are ransomware attacks increasing? There are three major reasons. First of all, ransomware is offered as a third-party software service on the dark web. So you no longer have to be a software programmer to deploy it these days. Second, organizations are more dependent on technology than ever. And if 
their IT operating budgets are not keeping up with the requirements, their infrastructure is easier to exploit. And then finally, the advent of cryptocurrency has enabled the easier transfer of large sums of money to anonymous accounts. So to minimize your risk of being a victim of ransomware attack, what should you do? While this is not a complete list, here are a few simple things you can do. One, invest in regular training for your staff and volunteers. As most attackers gain access via a known user in the organization, usually accidentally. Second, make sure your organization has full backups in place for all your systems and data. Third, ensure that your devices are on the Windows 10 or 11 operating system and have enabled automatic security updates. And then finally, ensure all your systems require multi-authentication verification. This is especially important for any of your admin accounts. So there you have it in plain English. If you have an IT question you want answered, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn and send me a message. I just might answer it on the show. And if you liked what you've heard, please subscribe and leave me a review. To all of you executives with a cause, the world is definitely a better place because of you. Thank you for what you and your teams do every day.